So we're in Romans 15, starting in verse 14 tonight, and I want to talk to you about, uh, to start off with, what I think is the most underused, untapped resource in the body of Christ. And I don't mean to exaggerate when I say that. I really mean it. The most untapped resource in the body of Christ, and it's right here in Romans 5.14, 15, 14, excuse me, Romans 15, verse 14. Thank you. Thank you, Kirk. It says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. So it's his confidence about something about them, the ones he's writing to, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. The, The untapped potential is the untapped potential of the body of Christ of the people in the church, the, the members of the body of Jesus. We're the untapped potential. We are. And I think that that's what Romans 15, 14 is talking about. But first, let's talk about what, what probably jumps out to you because we're full of goodness and filled with all knowledge is what it says. Anybody feel like that describes you? <laughs> um In fact, you could be like, I'm full of goodness, but yet the scripture says no one is good but God. Jesus himself, he said no one is good but God. This is where the atheist jumps in and goes, ah, contradiction, and then quickly jumps away before, you know, I don't want to think about the passage that's supposedly contradicting, but rather we'll try to understand it. Um, So how, how am I full of goodness and filled with all knowledge? Well, there's two things to add here. I think that this is in a corporate sense, not an individual sense, and I think it's uh, referencing the Holy Spirit not just referencing, referencing you and your skills and your amazingness. You're not full of goodness and knowledge, but rather the Holy Spirit obviously is. The Holy Spirit is full of goodness and full of knowledge. And who are you filled with? The Holy Spirit. So you functioning in the body under the influence of the Holy Spirit will bring to the body the fullness of goodness and knowledge as the Holy Spirit uses you to minister to other people. One of the mistakes that I think we make in our churches and maybe in our modern Christianity is, well, let me put it this way. I'll ask you a trivia question. How many real ministry type positions are there? Different kinds of ministry positions, right? There's like pastors. Other terms for pastors? (laughs) Elders. No, no. When, When you in your mind think of the church... And you think about different ways that people can do ministry in the church. For a lot of us, the default is to just think of what I call pulpit ministries or stage ministries, where you get up in front of a group of people and you try to minister to them, usually with teaching or exhortation, that sort of thing. But when the scripture talks about our gifts, it doesn't talk about it in this very limited sense where there's just there's pastors and teachers and there's everyone else. This is, this is what happened in church history when they started separating the church into clergy and laity. And clergy, we know, it's, this is a reference to those who are ministers. Oh, you're the, it's not just that you're spiritually elite. Rather, you are spiritually equipped to minister to everyone else. You're the clergy. Laity comes from the word laos, which means people. <laughs> so you have clergy and people. And I, I don't think it's an insult to the clergy. I think it's an insult to the people. Now, scripture seems to indicate that the church is separated into these categories. Clergy and clergy. 
and that I have a different gift set than someone else, which is why I happen to be doing this particular ministry of teaching and exhortation and the different things that I do in ministry that oftentimes have me standing in front of a microphone or in front of an audience. But you have a whole gift set that is unique not only to you, but is sometimes unique just to the situation. Just in that particular situation, you got a word of knowledge. In that particular situation, you had something to share, some way to minister to somebody, to give of the goods that you have, of the talents that you have, of the time you have, whatever. And so you're the clergy of the church. You're the body of Christ, feeding the body of Christ, the things of the Holy Spirit, full of goodness and knowledge. Do we really think of ourselves this way? Because I think we should. Right? We already know we're, we're losers and scumbags, right? We read Romans 3, okay? So this is not about puffing ourselves up. This isn't about like kind of where you take blind um, sort of egomania and you throw it at the church in the name of Jesus, right? About how amazing you are and how great you are and stuff like that. But rather, in relation to you being filled with the Spirit, there really is a goodness and a knowledge and equipping and enabling that's in you from the Holy Spirit meant for other people. So let's look at some scriptures related to this. Like Romans 7, 18, we went over this earlier, but it says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. So Paul's just saying, like, I'm a, I'm a loser. I know I can't like serve God in this flesh. I'm limited by me. I mean, I can only do what I can do, and it ain't good. But with the Holy Spirit... This changes. In Romans 8, we start really talking about walking, excuse me, walking in the spirit. We're actually walking in this life in the spirit. So Romans 8, 4 literally uses that phrase, walking in the spirit. Then it talks about how walking in the spirit also is, is, is a way of living, right? Um, walking is a lifestyle. That's how you live. How's your walk? We usually think, someone says, how's your walk? We usually mean, how's your relationship with God? But the term walk in scripture usually talks about the way you're living, your lifestyle interesting, your habits, your, your, the time you spend doing what, your pursuits, all that sort of thing. We also see in Romans 8.15 that we fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit, that by the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. So I'm in a connection with God, relationship with God. And Romans 12 really hits it home when it says that according to the giving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have gifts that are unique to us. And whatever those gifts are, Romans 12 gives you this, this sort of admonition Figure out what your gifts are and go use them. Whatever gift you have, go use it. So if you remember back 16 years ago when we were in Romans 12 <laughs> and we talked about this, that was, the, that was the main thrust. That was kind of the main point of the passage was the, like, whatever your giftings are, go use them. Go do something with those gifts. Now, this doesn't have to be part of the regular church services. Like, you don't have to open the church bulletin find one of the lists of things going on at the church and use your gift in that context. You may, you may not. It's just use your gifts. Just use your gifts however. Use your gifts when you're at work. You know, Paul, you were talking about your mom. Using her gifts while she's just at her work, sharing with people, ministering to them. So it's just saying, Lord, I believe that you've, you've empowered me. This isn't faith in me. This is faith in you. And I'm going to step out to try to serve and bless others. You may be one of the untapped resources in the church. So he gives a specific application in Romans 15, 14, after saying that we're full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, he says, able also to admonish one another. So and he, now he says this, not just to teachers, but to everybody. 
you're all able to admonish one another. You can admonish each other. Now that word admonish, it means to instruct, to teach, to warn. It can mean any of those things. And I think it does mean any of those things in this context. It's just, you can instruct people. You can give them instructions in the Lord. and You could, you could teach them. You could warn them. Now, sometimes there's a lack of this because what happens is when someone around us is in error or you feel like they need some help or encouragement, we often will just hold back because of the awkwardness of that moment of me like saying something out loud to you about maybe how I could try to help you or something like that. And I even feel it too. You know, I'm, I'm like perfectly happy when someone comes up to me, Hey Mike, you know, can you help me with this? I'm like, great. I'm gonna try to help. But sometimes when I just see a problem, how eager am I to go and confront the person who has an issue and get into their face? Not really that eager. I'm a little bit shy about those things sometimes myself. And sometimes what happens is we wait until we're irritated and then we're going to come and we're going to set them straight. And so the admonishing in the church sometimes tends to be not at all or out of irritation. And, and this is not probably the right way to do it. It's almost like I'm glad that it, even out of irritation that at least it's happening. You know, like at least something's happening because maybe they really needed to hear that. Maybe, you know, maybe you didn't have good character when you did it, but still at least something happened. What I think we need, we need to look for is admonishing each other where you have like a commitment to the person uh, in their future and in their life. You're still committed to them even as you tell them something that might be a little hard for them to hear. Do you know what I mean? The difference with them? It's like, I'm still with you in this. I still care about you. In fact, it's, it's because of that that I come to you now. I have hope for your future. And uh, I think that that can sometimes be missing. So admonishing implies that you care. Um, we don't do drive-by admonishments. You know, although, well, some people do actually do that. Some people do that. I remember somebody walked, a friend of mine, he was in church and he had a hat on. And somebody came up to him. And it was, I don't even know who came up to him. He never told me, but somebody came up to him and they were just like, you, you should take the hat off in church. And then they stormed off. And then he felt really bothered by that. Like the way it was communicated, just the fact that the guy just said it and took off. And he was like, I didn't know something was wrong with me wearing a hat. And, and so he like struggled with this and he came to me afterwards and he was like trying to wrestle through it and everything. But like how much different would, have, would it have been if the guy said, Hey man, I see that you're walking with the Lord, and I just want to encourage you that um, you're an example to others. And some people they they get a little bit weirded out when they see hats in church, so maybe you consider not wearing it to bless them. Like how different would it have been instead of like the drive-by like hat demon, and then it runs away. Like like how how much better would it have been than that? But so often it's like we we get upset with someone and we put them in a, a separate category now of like the disapproved. Um, and I I think that admonishing requires us to care about people. It's also possible to, to be spiritually arrogant in life. And this verse maybe corrects that because it says, hey, if you're an untapped resource in the church, then guess what the person next to you is? They're also a resource in the church. If you're capable of admonishing other Christians, then guess what other Christians are capable of doing to you? And it gets rid of that arrogance because there are some who they think they're so spiritual. Like, let's be honest. Like, there's some who are like, man, I study the word and I know the word of God really well. And I think that that means that I can pretty much off the cuff come up with really good plumbing solutions. I think that that means sort of like without researching or, or having any sort of real, real careful thought, I, I feel like I could solve the problems of the world because I'm spiritual. And I'm just thinking like, that's not spiritual. <laughs> That's not what it means to be spiritual. Spiritual is about your character. It's not about you being able to say like, um, 
oh gosh, you know, there's an electrical fire over there. Well, I know exactly how to handle this because I was reading John today. Um, no, that's not what that means. When it comes to plumbing or when it comes to electricity, it, like, I don't even mess with electrical stuff. Like, I know I will die or kill someone else. Like, this is not, like, this brain does not compute working on electronics or doing wiring in my home. Like, I will kill everyone on accident. Like, not on purpose. It's not a threat, right? That's just a warning. Um, so we hire someone to do that for us. I get help from someone else. Like, I, I'm just like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I forgot to turn the light off. Like, Allison, can you go turn the light off? I'm afraid I'll blow something up. Um, I just don't understand electricity very well. And, and, and here in California, black is ground sometimes, right? The black wire is ground wire sometimes. Other times it's not. And I, at that point, I said, I forget. I, I give up. I give up. I'd rather study Greek. Um, actually, I really would rather study Greek. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, we have to learn then the difference, I think. This is just honestly, this is what I'm going to call pastoral thoughts, my pastoral thoughts about admonishing one another. And one is, right, don't be arrogant. Don't think you know everything. Just stick to what you actually can discern and the wisdom. In fact, if you have discernment without wisdom, don't say anything. If you have discernment, like you see something, a problem, and you have wisdom on how to handle it, go for it. Now you should open up your mouth. But if all you have is discernment, there's some people who walk around with oceans of discernment, but they're a desert when it comes to wisdom. And so then they use their discernment to just hack people down and, and hurt and harm people. And I learned a long time ago for my own self, if I have discernment without wisdom, I just keep my mouth shut until that wisdom comes along. Um, but there's another thought is that there's a difference between my gut and the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm encouraging you to admonish people. So I'm going to encourage you to do so with courage, but without foolishness or being foolhardy about it. Just know that there's a difference between my gut and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people who think they have the gift of discernment out there because they look at people without knowing anything about them. They've already decided exactly the kind of person that person is. And um, maybe you do have discernment and maybe it's your gut. Here's the question. Can you tell the difference? And if you go, yes, I really can. And I have a track record that says I can, then good then share, then, you know, go for it. But if you're going, my gut, the Holy Spirit, I can't really tell, well, then just be a little slower to do it. Be safer in your admonishments. Um, that would be my, my challenge. But it shouldn't stop us. Um, we are, as, as the body of Christ, we are meant to be feeding the body of Christ and ministering to the body of Christ. So we'll talk more about that in a second. But, <clears throat> uh, but I just want to say this. The, the potential for every believer is very high. It's very high. And the potential for your usefulness within the body of Christ, which is not to say the church service, the gathering on Wednesday or Sunday or whatever, but your potential for usefulness by the Holy Spirit is radically high, higher than you probably realize. And so is the person next to you. But if we treat each other with the awareness of that potential, then it helps draw it out of people. There's this really interesting proverb. It says, it says that counsel in the heart of man is like deep waters or a deep well, but a man with understanding will draw it out. I think it really, I always wonder about that proverb. There's different ways of translating it and stuff. And, but I wonder if it means that there's somebody over here next to you who's got really good counsel, but it's like a well that's deep, so you got to really work to get that counsel out of them, to get them to give you the thing that they've got for you. And the same thing maybe in the body of Christ. Sometimes um, there's people who they really could help, and they really could assist, and they really could bless. And I just say, go for it. You know, filter the flesh out of it, but then go for it. Go for it. Err on the side of 
going for it if you're going to make a mistake. I'd rather have you moving forward than nothing, right? So the, clay, the, the clergy laity distinction, I think, is really harmful to the church. We should just see leaders and pastors as having a, a, a certain gift set, but we should see every believer as having some kind of gift set. And hopefully they're learning to do those things. Figure out your gifts. The shortcut to figuring out your gifts doesn't exist. You just, you just step out and you just keep doing things for Jesus and you find your gifts because you start to learn what you're good at. Um, I don't know another way to do it. Unless maybe you have like a magic eight ball for gifts. Words of wisdom. There's my gift. Like, or try again later. Like maybe. So look, okay, look at Ephesians, turn to Ephesians 4. And let's look um, at this <clears throat> before we move on to another topic here in Romans. Ephesians 4 verse 15. This speaks, read this verse in the context of not a, a church, just a church gathering, but a body of Christ. Like here's the local body. Each person is there for a purpose. God's sovereignty in, in, their, in, in their existence and in their placement and where they're at and all that. Ephesians 4.15, it says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And here's where it's about you. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this is a complex sentence, right? The conclusion is <clears throat> that the body will edify itself in love. Well, we're the body. Edify means build up. So we're going to build ourselves up in love. There's this mutual like interchange of building ourselves up in love. We're so structured together. The joints that are mentioned there, every joint, that's us. We are the joints. And what is every joint supplying? Well, that's you just doing your little, your little things here and there in the body of Christ. That's it. So let's read it again. It says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. What joins us? What knits us together? What every joint supplies. That's you doing your part, your spiritual gifts, just stepping out and serving according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So, now if you're like me, you never feel like you're doing enough for the Lord. So I don't want to feed that. I don't want to cause someone to feel like you're never doing enough for the Lord. Um, uh, but that's the emotional side of things. Step away from the emotional, like how do I feel? And just ask yourself, like, am I just stepping into the giftings? Am I just trying to serve the Lord in some capacity with those around me? Am I trying to be a blessing to those around me? Is that the, is the goal of my life outward and seeking to minister to others in whatever way I can? Then you're doing that and you will build up the body and the body will be knit together. But the more the body represents a few individuals ministering to everyone else and everyone else is just a consumer. Okay, so like right now, you're a consumer. Fine. I'm teaching. This is my gifting, hopefully. I hope, hope I'm gifted in this. And I'm hopefully blessing and ministering to you. But the second we're done here, that's over, and now everybody's ministering to everybody again. You see, that's, that's what has to happen. But sometimes churches can become, there's the pastor who does the teaching, there's another person who does some kind of ministry, and that's it. Everybody else just scatters, and that's, that's where we stagnate and blech. We just kind of fail and die. Um, but I, I don't want that. I know I don't want that. And, I, and that's not what God wants. So Admonish others, let others admonish you. And that was the setup. Because now Paul, is he set you up by telling you how, how you could admonish others. Well, that means that, guess what? Guess what Paul can do? He can admonish you. And so, so let's get into verse 15. So Romans 15, 15. 
Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's a ton of stuff that I want to notice in this verse. So let me just mention a couple things really quick. Whenever Paul talks about God's grace to him, he frequently is referencing his ministry, not just his salvation, but his ministry calling. So this passage is one of those passages. Because of the grace of God given, uh, given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And there's another point. He has a very specific ministry calling. Paul was called to minister to Gentiles. That's really interesting, isn't it? Peter was an apostle to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. I wonder who you're called to minister to. I'm not saying that we should assume that there's like a small group of people, but there may well be specific situations or individuals that you're better at ministering to, who you can reach out to more easily, who respond more when you do, um, and who you sense a calling. And if you look, when Paul tries to go to the Jews, he keeps getting driven to the Gentiles (laughs) throughout the book of Acts. Maybe there's someone you're trying to minister to, and it's like, no, you should be over here where they're listening to you or where they're actually open to you. It might be somebody who's particularly uh, gifted to minister to people in a certain kind of industry or a certain type of situation in the world or in business or something like that. Um, I think that that applies, but I think it's biblical, the concept. Also, it says in verse 16 that he ministers the gospel of God. What's interesting here is, He goes, I minister the gospel to the Gentiles, but he did more than just preach the gospel, the simple gospel message, right? I mean, he would preach the gospel, but then he would, he gets them into Christ and then he grows them up in Christ. He actually did more than that. So Paul would, would consider giving the gospel to people as also having a requirement to do some discipleship with them as well. And I just think that's an interesting thing to point out. And then the point is that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Okay, now catch this. Uh, see if you can follow my logic here. And if not, then maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but he, he says, oh, you, you're full of goodness and knowledge. You could admonish one another. But I write you anyways, because I too have a ministry calling. And I'm called to minister God's gospel to the Gentiles, that they might be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul's doing his ministry in writing, like, like Romans. Right side up, there we go. Romans is him writing to the people in Rome that he would do his ministry to the Gentiles to them. So Catch this. He's performing his ministry through this written text. Do you catch that? Does that make sense? Does that follow in the passage? And then, and then he mentions that his ministry, the gospel of the Gentiles, will result in that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So that means that this writing will not only communicate the simple gospel message, but it will work sanctification into the life of the one who reads it. Now, this might be like, duh, I already believe that about the Bible. But I think it's important that the Bible actually says the things that you already believe about the Bible, or else how do you establish that those things are true? <laughs> so, um, so yes, the, the actual written word is something that sanctifies us. This sets us apart to be sanctified, you know, set apart. I'm for a holy purpose. Like that worship song we did tonight that was just on my heart to do was a really blessed song, you know, like, Lord, here I stand, arms open wide. You know, all my life is yours. I give it all. Surrender to your name. I just love the idea of, I want to serve God with everything I have. Um, It seems an honor and privilege. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice, does it? It feels like this incredible honor. In fact, that's how Paul describes it with Timothy. He says to Timothy, like, if you cleanse yourself from these latter things, these these icky things, right, of the world, 
you'll be a vessel sanctified, ready for the master's use. And I've really, and like you, I really want to do that. I want to be that vessel ready for the Lord, you know. And that's one of the things that motivates me to want to live a sanctified and holy life, which can come through the reading and studying of the word of God. So uh, let's continue. Verse 17, he says, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. Now, this is a really interesting concept. Paul's glorying. He's, in a sense, boasting. He's glorying. I mean, and, and he'll talk about what he glories in. Uh, in Christ Jesus, in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So in a sense, Paul is saying, I am boasting, I'm glorying, my rejoicing, my glory, is in all the stuff that Jesus did through me. That might sound kind of arrogant, uh, but not if you read it carefully and thoughtfully, because that's really not how he said it. But before we talk about the glorying, let me mention this. In verse 19, Paul mentions mighty signs and wonders. Um, there are groups nowadays that are they're so focused on signs and wonders that it makes the rest of us like not even want to think about signs and wonders. And they're focused on it in a weird way. Like when I see Benny Hinn swing his jacket and try to knock down like a row of old ladies, like I've, I then don't want to talk about signs and wonders as a reaction to this. But Paul boasts about the signs and wonders that were, that were accompanying him. And it was even some stuff that would seem a little odd to us. You know, everyone, he goes, everyone there gets healed. His handkerchief at one point. Now, he didn't sell it. Remember this when you see handkerchiefs for sale on TBN. Just want to punch right through the screen sometimes. Um, no, that's, that's the counterfeit, not the real. But... But God was doing some amazing stuff through, through Peter and through Paul. Now, it didn't seem to extend through every member of the church like that. I mean, as you read through the book of Acts, it seems like it was centered on a few individual people. As you're sharing the gospel, here, 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 God was confirming the gospel with signs and wonders, and he does glory in that. So I don't want to discount signs and wonders because some people are weird. I want to have wisdom about it and be balanced. Um, and the end result was that the Gentiles would be obedient. Not, notice this, not just professions of faith. Paul did not go around collecting professions of faith, and there's a certain danger in that. Do you ever get that feeling when you hear, like, say, Harvest Crusade, I, which I love. I love Harvest Crusade. I love what they're doing. I want them to continue. But they always report how many professions of faith there were. Um, and that can be a little bit, and, and that's why they go, we have this many professions. Like, they try to be clear about it. They're just trying to say, look, we've, we've tried to accomplish something. We're trying to show you what results there were. But Paul doesn't stop at professions. He's talking about being obedient being obedient. Um, in verse 18, he goes, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So he's not interested in just a profession. He's like interested in people who are following Jesus in their lives. And that was Paul's method of ministry. He didn't just come in and do like a giant stadium altar call and then leave. Um, and, they, and they try not to do that. They try to plug those people in with local churches and I give them, I support Harvest Crusade, so I don't want this to sound like criticism against them. But I, but I want us to just recognize that the job's not done after I've said amen and pray with this person. They need to be discipled. They need to be plugged into a church. They need to become obedient to the Lord. And so um, we, we've got to move beyond just that profession. So what those ministries do, Billy Graham um, would do, as well as Harvest Crusade, Greg Laurie's, they'll try to connect with churches and go like, they need to be obedient. Here's all these cards. We got all the information from the people that came down. Call them up and invite them to your church. 
Sadly, we do that. We make those calls, but only a fraction of them actually ever come. And, um, and so God knows their fate. We're not saying they're not saved or something. I don't know. But yeah, the, the profession is, of course, obviously not an accurate number for who got saved, especially since several people go down every harvest crusade. <laughs> Same people <laughs> professing over and over again um, for various reasons. So, so we, we don't judge by that number. But <clears throat> Now he talks about his glorying, and if you look carefully, he doesn't glory in what he did. He specifically says, I glory in what Jesus did through me. And that is a great thing to rejoice about. Because you could step back and look at it and be like, Lord, that wasn't me. I know in me nothing good dwells, but wow, there's a fullness of knowledge and, and goodness from the Holy Spirit in my life. And look what you did through me. And you can stand back and look at that and rejoice in that and glory in that. In fact, that's, you're literally rewarded for that in the future in heaven. And you'll be like, you'll see those treasures and you're literally looking at what Jesus did through you, not just what you did. And so, of course, you can glory in that. The, the thing about glorying is it reveals your priorities. As a kid, I had various different priorities than I do today. Um, remember when you were a kid and you would glory in being able to show people how old you were? How old are you? I'm that old. And they'd be like, wow, good job. Like, try it now. How old are you, Mike? <laughs> you know, like, nobody's excited about how old I am. You know, like, I don't even have enough fingers and toes. I just pluck out a handful of hair and be like, "That's all." I <laughs> um, so obviously, you glory in some silly things when you're a little kid. You know, my when I would visit my dad, and he would he'd be like, "I'm gonna get you a new pair of shoes" or something like this. This happened a couple of times. Then he'd put the I'd put the shoes on, and he'd be like, "Run in them," and I'd run. He'd go, "Run over there," and he'd go, "Wow, you're faster." Really? And he goes, "Yeah, watch, run as fast as you can, <laughs> as fast as I could," you know. And I'd come back and he'd be like, yeah, you're faster. And I just remember thinking like, I couldn't tell I was faster, but okay. <laughs> and these are the kind of silly things we glory in as a kid. And then it starts to move into things when you get a little bit older. And I started glorying in Super Mario Brothers. You guys remember that game? Super Mario Brothers. I gloried in it. You know why? Because I could go from level one all the way through level eight, world, world four, or eight, four, level, whatever it's called anymore. I don't play anymore, but I could do it without dying. One life. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I felt really good about that. Now, imagine if this was my boast. I feel bad because somebody watching this right now is thinking like, hey. <laughs> but but it, that's a game. Like, that's not, you might even get money for playing a game, but I don't see why you would glory in it. Like, I don't see why this would be the thing you'd glory in. Yes, there are actually, unfortunately. But as an adult, what do you glory in? Like, is it your sports team? You glory in your, you don't just enjoy them, you glory in them. I remember when it was, who was it, the, was it the Raiders? They had some sort of big victory and, or no, it was, was it the Lakers? And everybody got out on the curbs all over the city. Do you guys remember this a few years back? Oh my goodness, I drove around after the game and there were literally people just standing on the corners of streets. I think it was the Lakers and they won some sort of championship thing. And they're standing on the corners of the streets just like in Lakers outfits and with purple and stuff on. And I was like going, like what if Christians just did that street witnessing? Like we just all went out onto the corners and everywhere you went on one day, all the Christians left the church and just that Sunday went right to the corners and just started proclaiming Christ. We should do that. We should have like an international like 
street witnessing Sunday where we all, I mean, if the Lakers can make people do it, then Jesus should be able to do that, right? Somebody get on that, make that happen. (laughs) But what do you glory in? Do you glory in your position or your job? Do you glory in your children? Because that's very easy to do. And I don't even know that it's entirely wrong to have some sense of glory in your children. I, I mean, um, the grandchildren are, in a sense, the glory of the old, the old man. I mean, that's not what Scripture says. So there's a sense of that. But there's a greater sense. There's a greater sense in which whatever Jesus does in my life is my greatest glory. And if that's your focus, then you're right on as a Christian. And you're going to have your focus right. You're going to serve the Lord right. Because given all of the many opportunities in life, you'll pick the one that glorifies God because you glory in his glory in your life. Verse 20, as we keep reading here. So he says, um, <clears throat> so I've made it my aim, his, his aim, his goal, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So Paul is really interesting here. If you, if you get behind the scenes in Paul's ministry for a second, he actually had to make ministry decisions about whether to preach here or preach there. And he, he made that decision based upon not how many people are in that city. Maybe he factored that in. But he, he said, has anyone gone there with the gospel yet? And if the answer was no, Paul was like, that's where we're going. So that was his aim. He goes, My, I'm here to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So guess what? They've already heard. They haven't. That's where I'm going. I, I think that's really interesting. So again, if you know your calling, if you know what you're more geared towards, then you know what decision to make in life. You're like, I'm more gifted here. I'm more gifted there. Okay, now when I have a split decision, I go, I'm going to decide the one that glory, glorifies God more, that fits the giftings he's given me, that sort of thing. Um, now, if you don't know your gifts, again, you just start serving, and they become more manifest the more you serve. It becomes more obvious. So then um, then we get to the, uh, the Old Testament quote in verse 21, which I think is actually really impressive. This is probably the last thing I'll get to share with you guys is, is this Old Testament stuff today. Hope you don't mind more Old Testament. I know how much it bothers you. Just kidding. Okay, so verse 21, he says, But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Now, look at the way he quotes this, because Paul's basically saying, I'm fulfilling that verse. Right? Wherever they haven't heard, I'll go. Why? Because as it is written, those who haven't heard are going to hear. To whom it was not told, they are not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. He's seeing his ministry as something of a fulfillment of that. Why? Well, let's go to that passage, Isaiah 52. Are you familiar with that chapter? <laughs> I'll bet you are. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. <clears throat> and we will, it's actually in verse 15, but let's back up to verse 14 so you can just get a little bit of context because this is what I think is impressive about this particular quote where Paul quotes Isaiah. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider. So Jesus did the first part, the sacrifice, sprinkling many nations. That's that's a... now. If you were Jewish, right, you know exactly what this is. Sprinkling nations, man. You're making a blood atonement offering for them. You're cleansing them with sacrificial blood. 
many nations, not just Jews, many nations. And that's what Jesus did. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah, the, the, the sin offering. And then Paul says, and I'm doing this. What had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. So Jesus did the first part. Now I'm spreading the gospel. I think that's beautiful. Um, there are actually skeptics who I've encountered in the past. Um, I don't know how widespread this is, but who said, if Isaiah 53 is so important, why isn't it quoted in the Bible referencing Jesus? If it's so clear that Isaiah 53 is about Jesus, then why isn't it quoted in the New Testament by the New Testament authors? This is a skepticism. But so often, these kinds of skepticisms, the funny thing about them is they're not true. They're assumptions or things that maybe the skeptic has overheard, but they've never double-checked. They don't fact-check. They just repeat. College professors are the worst at this, to be honest. The college professors are, have an incredible, not every professor, obviously, but so many of them have a terrible track record of just quoting every skepticism they hear about the Bible. Like They don't have to vet anything. They just, if it's negative about the Bible, it's automatically true, right? But if it's something in their actual field where they study, they want to probably learn it <laughs> before they teach it. So here is Isaiah 52, 14, and 15, and that continues through 53, quoted by Paul, referencing not only Jesus, but him then preaching the gospel afterwards. But may I mention, Jesus also quoted Isaiah 53 as if he was the one to fulfill it. So Luke twenty two thirty seven. Jesus says, for I say to you that this which was written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. He quoted, check this out, he quotes Isaiah 53 and quotes it and says it's about him and that he's going to do it. There you go, skeptic, <laughs> just in case you're out there. Um, also, it's quoted in John 12, 38. Also, it's quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Also, in Acts chapter 8, Philip in the, meets the Ethiopian eunuch, who's in what passage of scripture? Isaiah 53. And he's like, what's this about? And Philip explains it, and the guy gets saved and gives his life to Jesus. The, the problem, again, in this particular case with this skeptic, which is often, ha not always, but often happens with skeptics, is that they believe any negative report about the Bible without vetting it, the same way that they accuse Christians of believing any positive thing about Jesus without vetting it. And so they end up becoming sort of a self-fulfilling, like, inverted mirror version of what they mock Christians for being. Did that make sense? That made sense in my head. Like, I pictured this whole thing, this, this word picture in my brain that I just shared with you. So, um, yeah, so it, this, I'll just add, it. when you hear a skeptic, before you try to answer their claim, First, find out if it's even true. Just see if the claim's even true. Because very often it is not. Um, and that will, that will uh, really save you a lot of time. Because a skeptic sometimes will throw out 10, 20 different claims, and you spend the next three days chasing them all down, find out they're all not true. And then you find out he doesn't care because he'll just throw out 10 or 20 other ones. And really, your heart should break for someone who is so deceived and so sort of taking it on blind faith. <laughs> the lack of faith on blind faith. And um, yeah, but the application for us, I think in Romans 15 is this, um, get to serving, find your niche, try to continue to seek to figure out what some of your giftings are, even if they seem unconventional, even if they seem like they don't fit the normal cookie cutter, you know, ministries, we do, we do a disservice sometimes because what happens is a, a pastor or say that like here, I step into this ministry and I'm, I'm serving and I'm, I'm leading and and I do it in a particular way. And ministries start to take on the flavor of whoever's leading them. And then someone else 
comes in and they're supposed to have the same gift set and do it the same way. And that's not even possible. They're not the same person. They don't have the same gifts. So then what happens is the body looks up and they see a certain number of ministry leaders in that body and they figure these are the gifts. These are the ministry positions. I don't fit one of those. Where do I fit in? And that's totally not true. The whole body is clergy. Like you're already fitting in. The question is just how do you express that? And, um, and hopefully just to continue to be thinking, don't worry about positions. Just try to think of how you can serve and what little ways that you help. It, in fact, it's probably stuff that seems so natural to you, you barely even notice it. It's just so easy. And, so, and you're like, wait, that's ministry? But that's easy. <laughs> it doesn't have to be hard you know, to minister to people. It can be what comes supernatural to you. Supernatural to you. <laughs> On that note. Um, okay, before we pray, I just, I just want to say, um, so just a reminder, next week and for the next few weeks, I'll, I'll say this for the, for the online audience as well. For the next few weeks, it's every other uh, week I'll put out a video for the, for the Roman study. We'll be finishing Romans real soon. We're going to tackle some, some controversial stuff coming up um, in the next couple of weeks. And then I'm praying about what to do after Romans. Um, my... Little update is this. I don't think I want to commit to an entire series on Jesus in the Old Testament, Genesis, all the way through Malachi. That would take a very long time to do the whole thing. It'd be worthwhile, but I don't know if I want to commit to that length of time. So I thought what we might do is like just Jesus in Genesis and then break off and do something else. Then we'll come back to Jesus in Exodus at a later date and kind of like intersperse it. And I feel like uh, that's a little bit, feels like less of a marathon for, for everybody and a little more refreshing. Um, so that's a current idea. We'll see. All right, let's pray. Father God, we pray, Lord, uh, in light of this study and this message, we pray that you'd help us to do a few things. One is we want to glory in the things Jesus does through us. And part of that is, Lord, show us the things that Jesus does through us. Help us to have eyes to see the ministries that you've called us to, the particular giftings and enablements that we have from you. Lord, let us just see it. May, may others even come up to tell us what those things are so we could be more aware, so that we could target those ministries, target those opportunities. We also pray, Lord, don't just give us eyes to see where we're gifted. Give us eyes to see where other people are gifted so we could be more readily receiving from them, more eager to, to listen or to allow them to bless us, Lord. We pray that your body would be knit together in love, edified, built up in Christ through the things that every joint supplies, and that's us. So Lord, we pray for the um, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our local fellowship. We pray that your body would be stronger and would be filled with clergy. In Jesus' name, amen.